Welcome to the Morgan Stanley Ideas Podcast. I'm Ashley Miltite. Today on the show, why is it hard to give away a million dollars and make it count? In the aftermath of each natural disaster we've endured these last few months, the wildfires and the hurricanes and the earthquakes, you've probably seen tons of calls to donate to relief efforts. And giving is easier than ever before. You can send 10 bucks just with a text. But in that moment after you hit send, have you ever wondered how those $10 are actually getting spent? Whether your money will have a real impact? Okay, now imagine you were rich, like super, super rich. So rich that instead of giving $10 to people in need, you could afford to donate a thousand or a million or even a billion. I bet you'd spend a lot of time making sure that money had the largest possible impact. Kind of like if you were running a business and you kept meticulous track of your spending and profits. And that's what we're talking about on today's show. How big donor philanthropists make sure their money isn't wasted and how they find value even when they make a very expensive mistake. So, I mean, in, in vaccines and polio and, and so forth, you've had some amazing successes. Um, what about failure, though? Can you talk about a failure and maybe what you've learned from it? Yeah, fortunately, we can afford a few failures because uh, we've certainly had them. That's Bill Gates in an interview with his wife, Melinda. They're talking to Chris Anderson, the founder of TED, during a talk called Why Giving Away Our Wealth Has Been the Most Satisfying Thing We've Done. We were very naive uh, certainly I was about a drug for a disease in India, visceral lysomoniasis, that I thought once we got this drug, we can just go wipe out the disease. Well, it turns out it took uh, an injection every day for 10 days. It took three more years to get it than we expected. And then there was no way it was going to get out there. Uh, fortunately, we found out that if you go kill the sandflies, uh, you probably can have success there. But we spent five years, you could say wasted five years, and about 60 million on a path that turned out to have very modest benefit. The Gates Foundation is the wealthiest charitable foundation in the world. But as the Gateses and many others have learned, when it comes to global health issues, just throwing money at a problem doesn't necessarily lead to the perfect solution. Some of the key reasons it's hard to give money away effectively is because clients don't have a clear vision for what they want to accomplish. That's Melanie Schnollbegun, Managing Director and Head of Philanthropy Management at Morgan Stanley. Her job is to help people give their money away effectively. But I wanted her to explain what doesn't work. The first mistake Melanie says new philanthropists make? They can't pick a lane. Even though you might say, I want to end cancer, the reality is identifying where to begin is so hard. Do we give money to the hospitals that are treating cancer patients? Do we give money to the researchers that are working on treatment and cure? Do we give money to the organizations that are working on prevention? Melanie says that all too often, new philanthropists violate the first rule of business. Instead of doing one thing well, they try to do everything at once. Their money doesn't go nearly as far as they think it will, and the results are slow to materialize and tough to track. She encourages her clients to approach giving money away the same way they approached making money in the first place. That's what Ron Harrington did. You know, there are people with far more money. There are people with far more intelligence. It just kind of came to us 
because uh, I don't see a vehicle anywhere, and we've gone all over the world and made presentations. I don't see a vehicle or a model that can provide as much value add as this model for where we are right now and what we're trying to accomplish. There isn't one, in my opinion. Ron Harrington built his fortune as an entrepreneur, turning a failing medical supplies business in Ohio into a $2 billion colossus. He worked hard to make that happen. In the early days, he swept the floors and his wife answered the phones. He eventually sold the business, and now he's bringing that same focus to his work as a full-time philanthropist. To date, Ron and his family have donated $50 million to the Harrington Project, a groundbreaking organization that upends the traditional pharmaceutical model and expedites the development of new drugs. The project has a complicated structure, one that's never been tried before, and we'll explain how it works in a moment. But to understand the Harrington Project, you need to start with why Ron became a philanthropist in the first place. I had an incident. Uh, I was a marathon runner and you know, kind of a poster boy in a lot of ways. Before he had a heart attack, Ron hadn't spent much time thinking about giving away his fortune. But nearly dying has a way of changing your perspective on things. And then I had a quadruple bypass at 58. Ron had his surgery at one of the top heart and vascular institutes in the world, the Cleveland Clinic. I guess I went to the grateful patient slash uh, interest in philanthropy and maybe a passion to help somebody else. And so that all kind of evolved from the incident that I had. Inspired by what felt like a second chance at life, Ron wanted to make sure as many people as possible could get the kind of care he received. The prestigious Cleveland Clinic had plenty of donors, so Ron went looking for another hospital where a major gift could transform the level of patient care. He found his answer right across the street from the Cleveland Clinic at University Hospital. Ron and his family gave $22 million to start a new cardiac institute. And somebody would say, why would you do that? And I know a lot of people thought that, and I thought, that's crazy. And it wasn't just a one-time donation. Ron became invested in University Hospital and got to know the staff, including a doctor named Daniel Simon. He's a cardiologist and the president of the medical centre. After a long career in medicine, Dr Simon had diagnosed a pervasive problem in the pharmaceutical industry. Despite significant advances in research, the rate of new drugs coming to market had declined. And Dr. Simon had been dreaming of an organization that could reverse that trend. He just needed some funding to get it off the ground. When he presented it, he had to present it four times to our family. It's a little complex, and I'm a little slow in the draw, so it was, you know, those two things combined <laughs> weren't good. And so when we finally did get it, on that fourth time they came back, it clicked and I could see so much opportunity in it. All that opportunity led Ron and his family to make a $50 million gift to create the Harrington Project for Discovery and Development. Here's that complicated structure I mentioned before, which took Ron four tries to understand. Stick with me. First, the problem. Big pharmaceutical companies only want to produce drugs that are in the latest stages of clinical trials, that is, the ones most likely to become big moneymakers. Because of that, lots of promising drug ideas never made it beyond university labs. Drugs that could potentially cure diseases and save lives just sort of wither away, forgotten in laboratory archives or obscure medical journals. That's where the Harrington Project comes in. 
The organisation is designed to bridge that gap by bringing university research under the same umbrella as both a non-profit and for-profit arm. The universities still do research and come up with the drug ideas, but then the Harrington Project's non-profit arm helps advance those drug ideas to become commercially viable. If the risk is low, the plan is for those drugs to end up with major pharmaceutical companies. If the drug remains risky, the Harrington Project's for-profit arm will take up the cause. It's still early, but someday Ron Harrington hopes this model will lead to a major breakthrough. The Harrington Project is really the bridge over the valley of death. And we bring the drug discoveries off the shelves that people aren't, don't care about moving along. We're just trying to hit singles to bring these drug discoveries into the point where the pharmaceutical companies are interested. So that's the niche we serve. Whether the Harrington Project will work remains to be seen. But Ron has already taken two critical steps. First, he found a clear focus. Second, he didn't assume he had all the answers. And that's why the discipline of surrounding yourself with industry experts in those issue areas is so incredibly important. That's Melanie again. For someone who might have created their amazing fortune in the business of technology to now work in the space of education, just because they were brilliant technologists doesn't mean they know anything about the primary and middle school educational system in Northern California. In addition to a unique ability to identify problems, Experts can also provide a realistic timeline for impact. In other words, they can tell a philanthropist to be patient. People with billion-dollar fortunes are used to getting what they want when they want it. But curing a disease usually takes decades. One of my favorite client stories is a gentleman who was interested in working on eye disease. And the reason he cared so deeply about the disease is because his family life was dramatically affected by his mother-in-law, his wife's mother, going blind. She lost her eyesight to a terrible form of eye disease, which is called macular degeneration. So this wonderful, beautiful man spent decades of his life working on eye disease and realized that so much money going into the issue, even at his death and at, and at his mother-in-law's death, still didn't find a cure. Even at his death, he didn't have the cure in his own grasp. The question is, is that a failure? And the reality is that when you work in the area of healthcare, we can spend a fortune of money working towards a cure, only to find that it's not in our grasp, and then to hopefully learn from all of the lessons along the way. So I think for us, it's looking at the failures, but learning from our failures. Philanthropy can be a messy business. But what we're learning here is that the key word isn't messy, it's business. Even after surrounding themselves with all the right experts, philanthropists need to treat giving away money the same way they treated their successful businesses. Stick to your mission, stay focused, and have a healthy appetite for risk. I wish that all of my incredible entrepreneur clients 
came into my office and used the same business sense that they had to create their business, realizing that there needed to be financing, a plan, a board, governance, a roadmap, goals. Many clients throw it up against the wall like spaghetti and see what sticks. So the work that we do is to try and bring discipline to a client's giving pattern and create a similar business plan that they've created in their own business enterprise, create a similar business plan in their philanthropy. In short, just having your heart in the right place, even after you've had an emergency quadruple bypass, isn't enough. I can tell you that there are so many foundations out there that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars with nothing to show for them. And every intention in the world is there, good intention. Everybody's got great intentions. But you need the vehicle to pull some of this stuff off. There's one more important way that philanthropy is surprisingly similar to a business. Failure is valuable. Let's return to that TED interview with Bill and Melinda Gates. It turns out their foundation didn't just make mistakes. They learned from them. Here's Chris Anderson asking Melinda Gates about that process in America's schools. You're spending um, like a billion dollars a year in education, I think, something like that. I mean, the the story of what's gone right there is quite a long and complex one. Are are there any uh, failures that you can talk about? Well, I would say a huge lesson for us out of the early work is we thought that these small schools were the answer. And small schools definitely help. They bring down the dropout rate. They have less violence and crime in those schools. But the thing that we learned from that work and what turned out to be the fundamental key is a great teacher in front of the classroom. If you don't have an effective teacher in the front of the classroom, I don't care how big or small the building is, you're not going to change the trajectory of whether that student will be ready for college. So what have we learned about why it's hard to give away a million bucks effectively? Well, we know that writing a check is the easy part. To have a real impact, you need to learn from mistakes, you need to dedicate time, not just money, and you need to collaborate with people outside your comfort zone. Oh, and Melanie wanted to make sure we didn't forget one last thing. You need to have fun, too. And that's true if you're donating $10 or $10 million. That's what this work is really supposed to be about. It's supposed to be joyous. When you think about your giving, when you're doing it with people that you care about, when you surround yourselves with people brighter than yourself who are equally as passionate about the issues that you care about, when you understand, you know, how much can I give and what are the results I want to see with my giving, it's incredible joy. Thanks for listening to the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the research discussed in this podcast and listen to previous episodes, you can check out morganstanley.com slash ideas or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more from Ted or the rest of the interview with Bill and Melinda Gates, you can subscribe to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Till next time.